how quiet it is in here. I should talk. I should make some noise. And I'm going to so much for so long. Um, for the kids, only for the kids, there are some coloring sheets and some crayons back there by the Connect Center if you're into that sort of thing. So I encourage the kids and only the kids to go and help yourselves. The rest of you, there is coffee. Can I tell you a story? Thank you, because if you said no, things are going to go badly this morning. And interestingly enough, it is a, it is a story out of the Bible. It's where we're going to start off. But um, as I read this, it's, um, it's my story. And I would venture to say, uh, probably for many of you, it's your story. And uh, hopefully, by the time we get to the end of this morning, we can change our stories. So in Acts chapter 8, um, there's the story. Philip, the apostle... Remember, the, uh, the Holy Spirit has come. It's descended on all the apostles, those waiting in the upper room. Uh, this is what Tracy talked about last week. And uh, everybody heard them each speaking in their own language. And uh, this was the, the falling, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And after this point is when the apostles started going out across uh, Samaria, Judea, and all the unknown worlds, sharing the goodness, the good news of the gospel. And somehow it fell to the apostle Philip to go to Samaria. I don't know how they allotted things. I don't know if they drew straws, they rolled dice, or, you know, Peter's up there and Peter's just like, all right, this is the deal. Here's where everybody's going. Philip, you're going to Samaria. And Samaria, Philip's like, Samaria, Samaria's poopy. I don't want to go. Either way, it doesn't matter. Philip ends up in Samaria, which is not bad for him. Because he's going to Samaria, he is going to begin building on a foundation that was already established by Jesus himself. Remember Jesus and the Samaritan woman, and he, um, he was there for like three days, and he was sharing directly from Jesus to the people of Samaria the good news of the gospel. And so Philip goes up there, and he just jumps right in, and he's, he's expanding that work. And people are just amazed. People are like, this is absolutely phenomenal. We've never heard anything like this. Uh, remember, or be told for the first time, the Samaritans, the people of Samaria, were, they were mixed race people. See, way, 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 way back in the Old Testament, when the Babylonians came in, and uh, Babylonians, Assyrians, Maybe it was the Assyrians. I'll go with the Assyrians. The Assyrians came in, took over Samaria. What they tended to do to ensure that all their conquered kingdoms stayed manageable is they would take a bunch of locals out and move them far away, and then they would bring other people from other places and bring them into new places, and so you're mixing everybody out, and people can't get on the same page, and you don't have revolt. So, and at that point... The Sumerians, the local Jews of the Sumerian area, started to intermarry with the people that were brought in. And that is why, at the time of Jesus, the good and proper, the righteous, the good Jewish men and people and culture had nothing to do with the Samaritans. So Philip comes in. He's preaching the word of God. He's preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. And the Sumerians are just like, I keep going, Sumerians, Samaritans, Sumerians, Samaritan. I trust you following me so far. 
and they are just amazed. They're like, we have never heard anything like this, and people are falling all over themselves to accept the good news of Jesus Christ and the saving message found in the death of Jesus. Enough so that there was even a local guy, Simon. Sometimes he's called Simon Magus, Simon the Magician, Simon the Sorcerer. And again, I think I've mentioned this before, we, in our day and age, we just don't get to have good one-on-ones with sorcerers anymore. You know, when people come and say, you know, can I talk to you about something? It's never sorcery. Nobody's ever like, I have a serious problem with sorcery and I don't know how to overcome it. And I'm just, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that moment to happen. But Simon's a sorcerer. And he was well-respected. People were like, he is Simon the Great One because he can do magic. He can do anything his heart desires. Magic. Even Simon goes, these guys got something, and I want to get in on this. These guys got something, and I want to get in on this, and I'm just going to leave it, because things are a little unclear with Simon right now. So we'll just leave it right there. Back in Jerusalem, the apostles, Peter and John, Peter and John have not left Jerusalem. So I don't know, they're like, You, you're going to go to uh, Samaria, and you, you're going to go to Ethiopia, and you just walk that way until you find people. Where are you guys going to be? We think it would be best if we just stayed here in Jerusalem for now. Oh, the top two guys, right? But the top two guys start hearing about this amazing thing happening in, in Samaria, and they're like, this is weird. We should go check this out. And so they go up, they go up to Samaria, and sure enough, people are just accepting Jesus left and right. And they're like, this is amazing. Truly, this is a work of God. And, and signs and wonders were being done. But Acts tells us at this point, the Holy Spirit had not come down on those who were accepting Jesus yet. It's not until... Peter and John come to those who are saved and they lay on hands and they pray over them and the Holy Spirit comes down on them. And people are just stunned. They are amazed. They lose their minds. And Simon, the magician, take it for what you will, his first thought is, dudes, that is amazing. I will give you a whole bunch of money if you can teach me how to do that. See, all these people hearing the good news of Jesus Christ and and salvation and grace and mercy and forgiveness, and Simon responds with personal motivations and personal advancement. And how can I make this work for me? Because if I got the power to do this Holy Spirit thing, then, then I am the arbiter of this thing. I will decide who gets the Holy Spirit, and I will decide who does not, and that makes me even more powerful than the garbage magic I used to do. And he's like, I will give you all the money I have if you guys can just teach me this thing because it's cool. 
But Peter said to him, Peter calls him out. Peter brooks none of this nonsense. Peter says, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Peter just calls him out, and he, he's not sensitive. We never really get the impression Peter was a highly sensitive individual. Um, I'm not really sure we could even say Peter was a people person. But Peter was very focused on the kingdom of God. And when Simon comes, and Simon's trying to commoditize the good news, Peter's like, "Uh uh-uh. There is something wrong with you. There's something wrong with your heart. And regardless of this confession you've made and this baptism you've experienced, because Simon was baptized, I mean, he, he thought he was all in. Peter's like, your heart is not right, and all this bad stuff is coming for you. Now, you heard, you heard what Peter said to him. He has been called out. His motives laid bare. You would think in that moment, Simon, which interestingly enough, Simon Magus and Simon Peter are the ones having this conversation. I don't know what that means. Um, But you would think in that moment, Simon the magician would kind of stop and go, what does that mean? What is my motivation here? Simon responds, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. You see, in this moment, Simon's been called out and he he has this opportunity to repent. Peter even tells him to repent. Check your heart, check your thinking. Turn your mind around. Get right before God because bad things are coming for you if you don't. And the best Simon can do is you pray to God for me that none of this bad stuff happens to me. See, what we see here is Simon has gotten on board with Jesus because he wants something out of it. In this particular instance, Simon goes, I want the power to be able to grant the Holy Spirit, which, unfortunately for him, is not even a thing after this. It's it's not like it was a thing. It's not like a parlor trick. But see, this has always been the case. People that come to God with the right words coming out of their mouth, but the wrong motivations in their heart, and it's always been the case. You go back... And we could, if you'd like to join me, you have an app, you have an actual Bible, maybe you've just memorized it. But if you were to go back to Psalm, 78th Psalm, verse 35 and following, uh, the psalmist here is talking about the people of Israel. All the way back when God first led them out of Egypt, they, the people of Israel, remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer. Okay, all right, that sounds pretty good. They remembered they were fully aware of who God was and what he did. Cool, that sounds like a really good start. 
but. But they flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. They came before God and they said all the right things. But no matter how good the words coming out of you are, if they come from the wrong place, if they come from the wrong motivation, they are filth and they are an affront to God. Their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Oh God, you're so good. You're so great. We love you. Thanks for doing all the really cool stuff you do. Um, You're awesome. See you next week. And see, just as it was the case for Simon, just as it was the case all those centuries ago when the psalmist writes this, all the centuries before that in the case of the Israelites first coming out of Egypt, so it is the case, unfortunately, with too many of us. And this happens, I think, for for two primary reasons. We come to a moment where, for whatever reason, we believe the good, we believe. It makes logical sense, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we say a prayer, the sinner's prayer, for the record, sinner's prayer, not actually even in the Bible, but, you know, it it kind of encompasses the picture, what we're supposed to say. And we come and we say the words, and what do we get in exchange for saying the right words? Do we? Is that really what we want? Or do we just want to be let off the hook for eternal punishment? I'll come and say the right prayer, and I don't have to go to hell. And for a lot of folks, it stops right there. I said the prayer, I'm not going to hell anymore. And you know, if you look around, and maybe you know this, maybe you've seen this, maybe you are this. People who who move through the church for years and years and years and decades and decades, and they claim the name of Jesus Christ, and yet they are fundamentally the same person they were when they first said that prayer. Because they didn't go all in on Jesus Christ. They just said the right words to get that personal need met. I need to not go to hell. I'll say the right words. I'm not going to hell deal done. Or there may be people in that very condition, maybe people right here this morning in that very condition because the church has let people off the hook. The church has not called people to the good news of Jesus Christ, to the life of a disciple, which is what we were supposed to be doing. We were allowing people to come in and make a confession and hang out at church, show up for Sunday school if you have that sort of thing, be really good if you wrote your tithe check. We're not going to ask more than that. Because if we ask too much of you, you might leave. And then if you leave, that shows up on the numbers, on the little reports we write. And that would not look cool. So we're just going to ask a bare minimum And you stick around. And in doing so, we have produced 
generations and generations and generations of church members who are not manifesting the good news of a life marked by the redemption of Jesus Christ. And you may be sitting here this morning, and if you were to honestly take a look at yourself, you might look back and go, why is it that I am the same person I have been for years and years? Why, why have I not experienced this new life that Jesus promised he was going to give me? Why have I not become this new creation? And I was there, man, I was there for so many years waiting for something to happen. And it just, I, I was waiting for the magic. Waiting for that magic day when God was just going to sort of loop. And I was going to be something new and different. And then, then there came a day when, when God reached out and God's like, that's, that's not what I do. That's what we do. We together, you and I, you come to me and I come to you and you work in me and I work in you and, and I transform you from the inside out. You are a participant in this process of being sanctified and being made new. And all the years you spent saying the right thing didn't mean anything because what was coming out here and what was living in here were not the same thing. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe you're waiting for that magic moment when you go, I am a new creation. I am not what I used to be. I'm not, I, I am no longer bound by whatever it was that drove me to Jesus Christ in the first place. I have seen victory over sinful patterns in my life. I have seen myself become more loving and caring and gentle and faithful, self-controlled, patient. I am seeing that growth in my life. And maybe you're going, when does it happen? can happen today, but you get to take part in that. You have to submit. You have to go all in. It's not just about what you say, but it's about transforming the heart within. See, the problem they had, Psalm chapter 19, verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. See, there should be a, a, a coherence. There should be a consistency between what you say and what you do. The words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, those are connected and it's that connection, it's that tool, it's that process that can allow us to find this new life in Christ. I don't know if you're aware of this. I don't know if you've come across it. I'm going to share it with you. There is a cool new, uh, it's not really a fad, just sort of popped up on the radar People like to make a lot of it right now. You know, it's not new. And, you know, 
in time, it'll fall off the radar and new stuff will come up and then it'll reemerge down the road. But it's this idea of self-talk. Anybody know what that is? I bet you do. You're so smart. If it's okay, I'm going to tell everybody else because they're not as smart as you. Self-talk is literally how do you talk to yourself. The words that the words that come out of your mouth impact the person that lives within. That's why, um, yeah, I'm a big fan of self-deprecating humor. It's not good though, because see, see when you talk to yourself in a way you would not let other people talk about you, that, that gets in here. That impacts you. When you talk in a way that minimizes who you are, when you talk in a way that reduces your worth and your value, the you that lives inside, your soul, your spirit takes note of that and it learns that and it starts to become that. I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this, but anybody remember Stuart Smalley? He was on to something. For those of you that don't know, it was like late 80s, early 90s, Saturday Night Live. And it was this idea of daily affirmations. Every day I'm going to affirm myself and I'm going to speak kind things to myself. And so it was this guy, Al Franken, Saturday Night Live. He would sit in front of a mirror. He would look in the mirror. He would look at himself and he would say, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. Gosh darn it, people like me. And, you know, Gen X, I'm looking at that going, that is utterly ridiculous. What are these snowflakes coming up in this next generation doing? And now I look back and go, you know what? That's exactly what we need to be doing. The you that lives in here needs to hear, needs to hear the you that is out here speaking words of life to yourself. Because there is a whole world out there willing to speak words of death into your soul. And your soul needs you fighting back, speaking words of life, speaking words of affirmation. Hearing you tell you, I'm good, I am loved. God is good, God is great, I belong to him. In him, I do not have to fear. In him, I am loved. In him, there is joy. In him, there is hope. And you need to say it out loud because it gets back in. Now, I realize that may sound ridiculous. It's, it's you know, it's snowflake talk. And, you know, number one proponent of this kind of snowflake talk is King David. Because this is exactly what King David said, and he continues to say to us. In the 103rd Psalm, I can separate. All right. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. See, we sing that regularly, and it's real easy to just blow right by what he said. 
But what did he say? Bless the Lord. Cool. Okay, we can get on board with that. Who? Not Israel. Not my friends. Not my people. Bless the Lord, O my soul. David is essentially saying, look, soul, we need to get on the same page here because I'm out here with my mouth and I am blessing the Lord with my words. I am blessing the Lord with my voice and you need to do the same thing. Because what's coming out of here doesn't matter if it's not backed up by a similar sentiment coming from the heart. Bless the Lord, soul. Bless his holy name. I'm going to do it. You do it. Let's do it together. Remember, we looked at earlier, the other psalmist said, you know, they flatter with their lips, but they lie with their heart. When we bring our praise and our worship to God, which I tell you, this is, this is where this message started. I started, I sat down, I'm like, you know what? Scripture says, bless the Lord. What does that even mean? How do I bless God? What do I have that I can bless God with? God blesses me. God has everything. God just pours out blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon me. Because the greater blesses the lesser. How can I possibly bless God? To bless God is to recognize his great richness his strength and gracious bounty, and to express our gratitude and delight in seeing and experiencing it. See, we bless God when we worship him. When we, with heart and mouth, exalt God and express his goodness and express how blessed we are by him, we express his glory, his greatness, his goodness, his kindness, his mercy, his faith, his forgiveness, when we express that, we bless him. And when we express that, our soul hears that message. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now there's benefits to blessing God. The benefit is my soul. My soul grows. My soul learns the lesson of the goodness of God. When I say God is great, my soul learns that God is great. When I say God watches over me, my soul learns, you know what? It's going to be okay because God's watching over me. When I say God is my strength, my soul learns, you know what? I don't have to be strong by myself because there's one greater than me who's being strong for me. And it's when I confess these things and I worship and I express God's goodness to him that that change begins to happen inside and my soul grows and my soul starts to take on the appearance of that new creation. This is why worship is so important. But it's not just worship. You can pray. It, it, sometimes it feels weird. You can pray out loud. Because you know, God hears you, whether you're praying in here or you're praying out here, but when you pray out loud, those words that come out are going back. That self-talk is reinforcing your soul 
and the goodness of God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What are his benefits? Which, again, this is not why we bless God, but this is just like, oh, in addition to blessing God. In addition to becoming this new creation. In addition to crafting a new soul with him who speaks the truth from inside. We are blessing God who forgives all your iniquity. We are blessing God who heals all your diseases. We are blessing God who redeems your life from the pit. We are blessing God who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. You know, I first got saved. No, check that. Uh, I first got saved August 14th, 1989. It was a Monday, so it would have been 13, probably the 20th of August, 1989. I went to church, Faith Baptist Church. It's not Faith Baptist Church anymore, but it's over there. I walked down the aisle, and I said the sinner's prayer. And because I said the sinner's prayer, I don't have to go to hell. You know what? 30-some years later, I really don't think much about not going to hell. You know what I think about almost every day? God's steadfast love and mercy. See, not going to hell is not a reason to confess Jesus Christ and to surrender all to him. His ongoing, everyday, steadfast love and mercy, that's something to live for. That's something to live in. That's hope right there. That's all carrot. Stop focusing on the stick. Worship he who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This is what worship does. This is what worship is. God doesn't need you to tell him how good he is. God's no egotist, but he knows. You know, there's certain things you know about yourself You don't need people to tell you. You know. It's not arrogance. It's not ego. It's just you know yourself. And if somebody says something's true about you, you just, you know. God needs us to worship because when we worship, we are reaffirming to ourselves God's goodness. And that's why it's so important. Maybe the most important thing we do, because nine times out of ten, nine and a half, nine and... 9.834 out of 10 messages you hear. I don't remember. But there's a good chance, many of you, by 2 o'clock, that was a really good message. Was it? What did he say? Um, Some Jesus stuff? But when we come and we worship, and you worship 
properly, when you put aside all other concerns, when you come and you worship and you don't just sing because it's the block of time between 11 and 11.35 and singing is what we do during that time. When you put all other concerns and all other distractions aside and you say right now in this moment, I am here with God and I am singing to glorify him. I am here singing to an audience of one. And you are mindful and you are intentional. You bless him and he blesses you in return. And that's where your soul grows. And so as we sing one more song this morning, oddly enough, I I think you'll find it vaguely familiar. I want you to put aside everything. You know what? If you don't know what your lunch plan is yet, you know what? You still won't know in five minutes. Knowing five minutes sooner is not going to matter because most of you are going to stand here and talk for 25 minutes anyway, no matter how much the kids hate it. So take five minutes to put aside all other distractions. And I know a lot of us are dealing with stuff far more consequential than where we're going for lunch. Put it aside. Whatever it is that's, that's taking up bandwidth in your heart and your mind is not as great as God. Take five minutes. Lift your voice. Lift your spirit. Sing the words to God, but sing them to yourself. Listen to what you're singing. Let them take root in your heart. Let them change who you are. And then remember to do that every time we come back and we meet. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be as one.